So as uh, often people ask, you know, when does one begin yoga and how does one begin yoga? So let's start from where we are. As human beings, one of the first things that we discover is that we we live in a kind of paradox. There are many paradoxes of our life, but one of them is that uh, being the apex of the food chain, it's a bad word, or the apex of the evolutionary uh, process, it's natural for us to believe that we know everything and, you know, we are the topmost <laughs> in the creation. And by the time we are um, 20, 25, worse still if we are highly educated with many degrees, we develop this illusion of knowledge even more uh, strongly. Till some uh, event happens, which we call as unfortunate, but very often it's a very fortunate thing, it reminds us that no, I am a little helpless creature on the flow of time. <laughs> and there is born in us an urge to know, to know more. Even ordinarily as we go through life, we begin to become aware, as I said of this paradox, that with all my fragile sense, uh, with all my sense of power and knowledge, it's very fragile. It can collapse at any point of time. Our harmonies, our facades. So people take two approaches. One is the more common approach where, you know, we have the old car, we keep on doing painting and denting and, uh, you know, so that it looks new. <laughs> but the, it's the same model, it's the same engine, it's the same fuel. So after a while, it's, it's going to stop uh, kicks and starts. That's how normally life goes. We try to run away from this paradox. You know, we try to even create an illusion of knowledge by a lot of information which we gather from all around. And uh, we also try to create an illusion of power by being on our contact list. I have, you know, often met friends who will tell me, you know what, so and so, who's who is on my contact list? <laughs> If you once fall on the road, have an accident, it's not who's who is going to come, but the man who is passing by next to you, <laughs> who has come either by some uh, fortune or whatever, and the who's who is unable to help when actually, you know, your time is up. So we begin to, at a point of time, we begin to become aware more and more of this. And um, unfortunately, sometimes it's a bit too late, though we say it's never too late, but... Um, as mother puts it, that most of us learn how to live by the time we are 80. By then, it's almost time for second innings. So, <laughs> we don't know what to do. So, we start reading some books and say it's very difficult. Because all our life, we have, you know, spent re reading share markets and stuff like that. How do we suddenly, you know, engage with these things? Or we go to a nearby ashram, somebody who can give us some peace of mind though we discover that, you know, the peace that we get after a certain point of time is the peace of Shava. You know, it's like nothing much to do, senses are all failing, so you get some kind of peace. But that's not the peace of yoga, it's something very dynamic, the peace of Shiva. So nevertheless, that's one course of life, but we can, that's where yoga comes in, we can hasten this process of learning and evolution, which is what we are meant for. 
that's something very unique to human beings a gift many things are a gift to us which we don't use because nobody has told us one of them is the capacity to reflect it's uniquely human we can look into ourselves and we can change course you know often when people correct, talk about ai this one of the biggest challenges of ai how it can self correct itself but even that is based on the data but we can correct course we can accelerate that's why all education is a recognition of this fact that we can actually grow we can grow in capacities we can change things we can change our own character despite whatever people may talk about it this is something very uniquely human not just about speech so we can do that so uh, we we can reflect we can we also have a quest unlike the animal kind which is satisfied within its small little um, round we you know we want something more something greater something higher most of the time it's very vague so this evolution starts from this point where we discover shubhendra puts it very beautifully in a poem and i'll just read a few lines um, there is a need within the soul of man the splendors of the surface never sate for life and mind and their glory and debate are the slow prelude of a vaster theme a preface to the epic supreme so as long as we are satisfied with life as it is with its glow and glamour it's best not to disturb so there is lot of people who are happy with it let them be happy nature has its own ways to shake us out of our comfort zone but when despite everything being around well things are never too good in anybody's life and things are never too bad if you really look it's a balance but in spite of all that we feel that there is something more we need to you know uh, no more be more discover more that's when yoga starts it it starts within that's one of the first discoveries that we make that well normally we think it is circumstances and situations which determine us but yoga teaches us it's we who determine the circumstances and situations um how does it happen it happens because when we step back from the external frame in which we are caught all the time we are running from here to there doing this doing that all the time engaged in so many activities but when we step back we discover another world it's a world of our thoughts our feelings our hopes our desires our disappointments our failures and then we if we are really careful enough and observe very clearly we'll see my god many things in my life were just a reflection of this i give you a small example there are people who are uh, always caught in many kinds of contradictory wills they want you know little this little that little this little that and it's all the time and there is a tussle inside then in life also <laughs> it takes that same form and one is never quite satisfied you know that well because there is a little bit of this there is a little bit of that most of the time it's because of the contradictory wills inside if you look inside we'll discover whereas um, any kind of success we want whether in yogic life or outer life we need to be focused so one of the first things that we discover is this kind of a confused movement inside of thoughts and feelings and impulses and willings and we don't even know why this is so we just know that this is what i am and then we discover this what i call as myself a moments personality is the result of whole kind of things uh, this inner being 
or this personality which we call as me is nothing but a habitual movement. We are like habitually tuned to a television channel because we just love the show. Nobody has told us that there are other kinds of shows also playing out there and we can switch on. And it's so many times I have myself seen that, you know, um, my typical interest, sometimes I would watch Ramayana, Mahabharata, news channels, certain news channels, um, certain movies. Uh, not much fond of, you know, English serials. Still, my son told me that, you know, why don't you watch this serial, Monk? I said, oh, is it? What is it about? I thought Monk is about some, you know, uh, holy man thing. <laughs> so, I was hooked by the name. But when I watched it, it's a detective serial. And I loved the whole thing that, look, you know, uh, how he is able to minutely observe. So, then we discover, oh, there are new possibilities which we have never explored in our life. So, we live even about yoga, spirituality, we have certain frameworks. But when we step within, then we discover that life is much more than these frameworks, these slots, these definitions mind spontaneously puts into. So what is it about? It's quest. Frameworks are helpful. Frameworks can be harmful. Frameworks are helpful to give us some kind of orientation. I'm in the Bay of Bengal. It's good to know this framework. I'm in the Arabian Sea. <laughs> but that's it. It ends there. They are harmful when we believe that by reading and intellectualizing and having a framework, I know it. We may read all the books and know nothing. So yoga is an adventure in real time and place. It's not a classroom learning. In fact, no learning is a classroom learning. Nowadays, the concept is of universal learning, which is sadly missing many times because children come to classroom, they open their bags and pick up a book and there's something on that, you know, notice board or the board going on uh, but they are not this is not learning there is all the time this constant process that's how you know mother at one place puts it the guru is everywhere and if we are really keen to learn we will learn from everything from a bumblebee to a rose and that's the way to really grow constantly but what makes us learn is the quest so first thing important is to have this quest it's it to start with it can be just a central thought in our life what is the most important thing in my life like if we just raise this question uh, throw this question to ourselves and if we were asked that what's the most important thing in my life now i am using the word thing in the american way it can mean anything from external to internal to anything so somebody will say this person somebody will say this job somebody will say this idea for someone it may be the idea of justice, to someone else the idea of love, to somebody else the idea of peace, to another person the idea of unity. Now this idea if we catch in our life, it's a very, very, uh, it's a big gain. Because then we can start rearranging this inner house. It's in disorder. Shivinda puts it very beautifully, he says our house is in a disorderly order. You know, like young children, they throw away things here, there. If moms go to correct it, they say, Mom, don't disturb my arrangement. <laughs> there is no arrangement, Baba. No, I know how to find my things. It's not an arrangement. So we have learned to live like that in this disorder and chaos and we just think it's order. <laughs> so how to create order? We start with a central point. And that central point we have to discover within each one it's different. That's why yoga, though it's in the largest sense, it's, you know, well, it's a universal truth, but it starts in each one differently. So that central point can be anything. And we start moving our lives around it. 
most often we discover that we have used an external point as a central point which is very dangerous say for instance my job my child my husband my wife now the problem is how do you move your life around that central point it's outside you you become a slave that's how you know that's what is called as bondage when our locus of control is outside me so obviously i have no autonomy and freedom the first thing for autonomy and freedom is to bring it inside so how do we bring it inside what am i really looking for let's say in a relationship is love now it is something intrinsic to me it's not something outside me what is it that i am looking through all these degrees knowledge it's inside me so we should reduce it to the fundamental truth which i am seeking happiness okay now this is something which i can find inside me not necessarily through somebody this person or that person so i have to discover all these things which i am seeking outside are within me and we all know it it's very simple to make this experiment ultimately it is always inside it's the inner being which reacts and respond to some stimuli from outside so the possibility was inside me but the external sub does it trigger and is stimulus if the possibility was not there it will not create any kind of response like you know if i tell a joke to a to my cat it won't laugh because you know it, it just it's not there right inside but somebody with a sense of humor will laugh somebody without a sense of humor will you know be very straight faced that what is he speaking about because the possibility is inside me therefore it there is a certain kind of response but again if i let this possibility at the mercy of something outside again there is another kind of bondage that i am living in so first is to discover that the possibility is inside me all that i am seeking is something that i carry from within uh, carry inside within so then we discover okay fine there are states of consciousness when we spontaneously we are going step by step in as in normal life uh sometimes there are moments when for no reason at all i am happy sometimes there are moments when everything is bright and wonderful there are moments when i am dull there are moments when i am full of love there are moments when i am full of as if you know i am going to demolish everything so we begin to discover these various states of consciousness which jostle they come from all around like currents and they enter us and i hold on to it and i feel well this is what i am for the moment it's a momentary personality anger it ceases at another time we are very forgiving and this small little discovery is so helpful in life you know there are people who brand oneself and others oh this person is full of anger now what have i done i have branded so the other person also starts you know using it as a self fulfilling prophecy we use this word with children you know role playing so you tell a child you are bad you are bad you are bad it becomes his identity but we discover that it's not true even the person who is extremely angry one moment there are moments when the person is at peace very calm so we discover that there are many sides and shades to this complex personality within us and all these are raw material which we have to use for yoga yoga is not something sitting quietly and meditating that comes later but this is the raw material so i discovered that i am happy some moment and there is something within me which takes away this happiness it's a discovery we can make without reading a book yoga is to read the book of life everything is written here this is the ultimate scripture which we don't read 
so what do we discover well when i get angry actually you know ultimately i lose my own peace it's a very small observation it doesn't need uh, you know rocket science to understand this you know geeta of course describes it that krodhat bhavati samoha it is so true there are people who read this shloka but don't understand this because they have not observed themselves but there are people who have never read a spiritual book but they understand it that yes this anger this jealousy it is eating me it's not harming someone else so very naturally if we start this process of self observation we discover what is obstructing me from the joy that not only i desire but i would say we deserve what is coming in the way of the love that i want in my life to blossom and what is helping this love and then we can make a third discovery and the third discovery is that every quality every power if we use it rightly it grows if we misuse it abuse it it becomes darker and darker and distorted distorted let's take any example a communist example is happiness now have you observed that happiness shared is happiness multiplied try going to a movie alone and see how you you like the movie but when you go with a friend you are happy why because you know it just that it multiplies itself sorrow also by the way multiplies itself go keep company with somebody who is all the time unhappy and start getting contaminated so these are these are simple things we observe about ourselves so this joy we observe that there are things which cover it love there are things which come in the way of the release of the energy of love inside me first of all it's locked what is locked it so we have in yoga these the famous shadripu the six enemies they have closed the door they don't allow energy in its you know good form to come out there is in us this evolutionary energy so we have to release it so what are these six enemies the band of spirits enemy ashwamedha puts it so one of them is lust now when we it's a simple observation lust is to want to possess dominate whereas love is about giving and when we give we get happy when we want to possess it gives a temporary pleasure and thrill and then it like because you want to keep it all the time keep it all the time that's the big problem of you know possessing something because you you know it will slip it's something very precarious we are full of fears will it remain or not so we along with the possessiveness or possession we also get injected by fear it's like a contamination it comes in we want to hold sunlight inside the palm of our hand we want to hold water inside the palm of our hand it's like we are afraid when will it slip off whereas when we release it allow this love instead of wanting from outside to give it you'll see that it multiplies it's a very simple thing it's these are things which actually we should learn with mother's milk but <laughs> unfortunately education makes us forget that simple things you know mothers first teachers who give <laughs> but as we grow up we are, by the time we are past kindergarten we we have to take and parents also you know we are all party to it how many marks so we we develop somehow this distortion comes in to want to get whereas to give is to actually increase anything that we give happiness peace love uh, so if you give jealousy it will increase <laughs> if you give anger it will increase it just multiplies uh, it multiplies also by a rebound effect it goes and comes back it, it's you know it's not only the physical universe which is like a circle 
whatever or in well uh, expanding ellipse if you want to be more accurate whatever you throw comes back so eventually it comes back this is the most basic law of karma i mean forget about the deeper aspects that what we give to the world eventually starts coming back so we discover it's not a good policy if i throw anger it'll come back then after some time it's so confusing that we don't know who, where the origin is you know two people who keep getting angry at each other after some time they just fighting blaming complaining you are the one and you are the one it doesn't help whoever is the one you can always stop it by realizing discovering that if i release this energy it's going to multiply so instead let me release those energies which i want to grow love yes it will grow now this much is easy enough and many of us do discover this simple thing at some point of time and start putting it into practice at you know this is still not the direct entry into yoga yoga enters into the play when we discover that even this energy which i am releasing into the world right now as i am experiencing it there is a much more intense and purified form of this energy there is a much better fuel let's say love now there is human love and there are people who are very generous and they are very loving and they they give love but this is a human love still whereas when we turn to yoga we hear a word called divine love a divine love is something very different so profound so deep so vast so intense that sometimes looking at the surface you can't make out that there is such a tremendous love but it doesn't operate in the human way it's a different quality its ways are very different it's not going to say to a person human love expresses like this you are such a nice person it's a good expression or i am giving you something materially but divine love will expresses none of these it will just go ahead and change it's a tremendous power it will uplift its very presence if somebody embodies this energy it has a radiating effect by the mere presence it doesn't have to say a person having divine love inside doesn't have to say oh you are so nice i love you and this nothing its presence radiates beauty and delight it brings it so now the question is how do i upgrade this energy whether it be knowledge or strength or power or peace or uh, harmony um, or love all the human forms in which we experience these energies is there a way to upgrade them to a divine level that's where yoga steps in so the first fundamental premise is that in their origin you find them in their pure level like gomuk gomuk you know you go there the ganges is trickling in drops of water it basically pure you know ice kills and from there it is coming but the same ganges by the time it is haridwar it's already getting dirty in ganga sagar it's like you have to just take it by faith that there is ganges so in the human consciousness we have to take it by faith that there is god inside everything on the surface contradicts this so we have to go to that pure source it's logical that the source exists within everything because that's how even whether you take the big bang or we take a, a you know more spiritual understanding of the universe the source has to be within everything but it is given to man to connect with the source this is the that's why human beings are again unique in the sense we can engage in yoga because we have a quest because we are not satisfied within the you know magic circle of nature animals are that's why the elephant outside ganesh temple never feels like running away 
I am surprised that why it doesn't. Poor fellow is all the time here. Till now I have been speaking about it. There some animal rights activists should say that look, poor fellow, you know, every day puts him. After it's not fair. At least give him a nice throne to sit. Why it has to stand? But and she is capable. This uh, baby elephant, she elephant, if she wants, she can go on a rampage. But she doesn't. This is called the magic circle of nature. In uh, parlance of yoga, we call it ignorance. It doesn't know its own strength. It doesn't know that if it were to actually raise one foot and make its <laughs> its uh, trunk or even the tusk uh, go just a little few inches. With that, you know, people will start running away. It doesn't know, so we don't know our own possibilities. So first, we have to break free from this magic circle, and this breaking free from this magic circle in which we are caught comes through intense, one-pointed concentration. This concentration can be from anywhere. It can start with a thought, an idea. There are centers of concentration. It can be done even bodily. Hatha yogins did it. Not what we practice today. What we are doing is just some keep fit exercises. Not even asanas. Use the word asanas. Hatha yogins for hours and hours they would concentrate the energies of the body onto a point, point un- until it broke free from the limits and the body got new possibilities like you know various kinds of siddhis for hours on end they were releasing this energy. And they started discovering behind the physical body a subtle body and a vital body by this process. Or the Rajyogi who does it intensely concentrated in the mind, mental energies on to one point, one point, one point till ultimately you burst forth from the mind and enter into another space, a larger space, a vaster space. Or the Trimarga of the Gita, Bhakti, where you start focusing all the energies of love on to one object. The Lord, the Divine, etc. etc. Then eventually you burst forth and love within us becomes vaster and more powerful and purer. It can be done even on a human being incidentally. That was the conception of Sati. Though it can be dangerous because it is far more difficult to love a human being than to love God. You know, because God is a nice guy. You know, he doesn't give us back. <laughs> at least be you know he'll, he'll not retort back and say you don't love me properly but with human beings it's an extreme challenge if you want to love truly you have to take in the challenge that the other person will recognize nothing of this love but if one can do it even that love Shubhinda speaks of this in synthesis all love which is in the nature of adoration has an uplifting power in it that's was the idea of Sati you know it Mandodri is a sati. By simply human love, she could ascend to those levels. It's an energy, any which way. But you have to get past appearances. Even when we love God, we have to get past appearances. If we believe that uh, divine is only in this particular form, it's good to concentrate to start with. But a time comes when you have to see that deity everywhere and in everything. And if we don't do it, we have, our bhakti has also become egocentric. Because it's, you know, then the next step starts, my God versus your God. And who is greater, let's go on. You know, because that makes us feel greater somehow. Oh, God knows why. <laughs> because the Guru may be very great, but we may be very stupid. The two don't necessarily correlate with each other. But we have to, at some point, get past the external and enter into the inner consciousness. 
and then we discover that source of love same thing with knowledge same thing with power through works nishkam work we are no more letting these energies of work go into this direction what result am i getting is somebody appreciating me uh, will i get a promotion instead of all that all these energies are taken away from here and there and everywhere and they are focused on to seva i want to just serve my lord and then slowly slowly these energies become so concentrated so concentrated that the moment you undertake a work you see you are supported by the master of works and you get the delight of works same with any energy so this is one part of it to break free from the magic circle of nature yogins have done it and with wonderful results and i am sure there are special sessions on that but even that is not a transmutation we get the touch of the divine love but if i come back to life my life is the same the people who have had this experience but they come back now we have to discover that alchemist energy which can really change this everyday life into something which is more divine then only it can really become all life is yoga otherwise it will be like still we are beating around the bush now this energy is the vedas tell us is found at three places primarily it's everywhere but at three nodal points one of them is within matter where it's unconsciously leading evolution upward the evolutionary energy is the base of matter that's what in kundalini shakti is awakened by special processes of intense concentration by force it is pulled out the kundalini yogins they after they have stabilized asanas and pranayama and the mind they pull this power which is at the base of the spine and as it comes it awakens to many things the cosmic consciousness and eventually into the transcendent the other place where it is there it's is within the human system is in the depths of the heart that's the psychological center even physically that's why in ecg we you know have those four though we use the three one leg and two arms Uh, to record the ecg because this is the electrically neutral point that's where if we go deep inside this energy is there all the energy for progress for evolution comes from here this is the thrust so we have to bring it out how to bring it out one is of course concentration this concentration is of course there are special moments when we sit and concentrate but there are also Uh, all the time if we are aware that there is something deep within like when we are eating we offer uh, these are many ways to bring out this energy but most important this energy needs its food to grow it has been stifled through a process of uh, education we stifle this energy it needs food it needs nourishment like you know we give food to the body and we have so many books on nutrition we give food to the mind and we have so much of information 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 we have food for the vital inner so many friends we have food for emotions unfortunately all these are used as food somebody who gives us uh, you know love and good feelings and we give so it's like food but there is very little food that we give to this core of us so how to give it food what it likes it doesn't like formula food number 1 it doesn't like artificiality and if we look at our life very very carefully and sincerely we'll see the real thing that is going on in life is going on deep inside and 
you know we nobody knows actually that's why so difficult to know what's going on inside a human being's heart it's so true we uh, use a smoke screen we become like you know mars and mannequins and you know we just want to remain like a facade and civilization so called enforces these things on us uh, but uh, this what is happening inside uh, not only others are not aware we are also not aware that's the sad part of it but when we go inside we begin to become aware so that's why one of the ways to bring it out is called truth be true be true to what you are inside you know don't don't use masks and facades and all the time i mean by being true is of course a very very uh, you must not forget the first thing that there are things which are covering truth we need to remove like you know one should not say well is my truth that i am getting angry <laughs> that in the very first step we have spoken of that that these are coverers which we have to remove otherwise we don't even will not even reach that far where truth resides it resides in a very beautiful place sacred place and why does it reside here because uh, everywhere human beings have corrupted they go to a nice uh, badrinath and there'll be a coca cola next door and they go to a mountain and there'll be some kind of a loud music going on so truth has run away and resides in the depths of the heart so one is that this seeking for truth this urge to discover truth to express truth if we don't need to express truth we can stay silent but this itself will bring it out it's a wonderful food to read books which contain the deepest truths it's like a food it will grow that's the advantage of swadhyaya people often say that you know why should we read it's everything is inside us yes but when we read it's like a food suddenly the soul within springs out and says oh wow for a change it's something beautiful even if we don't understand that's the beauty of it because what does not understand is our outer mind it's okay there is somebody who is listening that's why it is said the real listener is the soul it drinks mother used to always recommend that read a little every day don't worry about understanding in fact she says keep the mind quiet and i have seen people just reading savitri every day reading prayers and meditations reading any i mean with the right attitude of course uh, not understanding but taking it like you know there is something within me which needs this food and which will grow and we'll see that this part will grow another very good simple way to give it food was satsang good company books are one good company places where this nourished like here it's very easy we go to the samadhi or in noraville matri mandir and it just nourishes it we don't have to do it's like you are going to a charging station and getting hooked um, shivinder has used this word that people outside come here and get charged and go back so you know it charges us there is no doubt about it so we just need to plug in how do we plug in by calling the mother taking the name or by focusing on an image then after a while we just get charged or simply putting the head over the samadhi after a while we see that we are getting charged so this grows spontaneously effortlessly similarly taking the help of name and an image to go within so these are all aids which are given to us to nourish this little fellow which no bigger than the thumb of man which is our true reality 
Now, if this energy is released, this starts to change our nature. It automatically exerts an influence. Then we don't have to say, "Oh, I want to keep this, and I want it to go away." Spontaneously, things are begin to set right because it's a light. You know, like if you are in a jungle doing camping, and you want to make sure that wild animals don't come near. So, what do you do? If you sit with a rifle, still it will come. What do you do? The oldest way is to light up a fire. Light up a fire. You see that you know animals will just not come. They are afraid of this fire. Somewhere they feel that this is something man has got, like that Rudyard Kipling Jungle Book. It's so true that man has something which we don't have. This idea that how do they light the fire fills them with awe and fear because they can't do it. So similarly, there is an inner fire when it is lit. Many tendencies spontaneously begin to lose their hold, lose their grip, tend to drop away very naturally. It's not that we are fighting inside. I want to throw away my anger. I am unable to throw away. Okay, light this fire. Anger will run away. Peace will begin to grow. This is the agni. This is the yagya which is going on. And then feed this fire. So everything that happens in life, put it into that. I have this problem. I can't find a solution. Put it into the fire. I have this difficulty. I don't know how to come out of it. Put into this fire. Slowly, this fire will grow. The more we put inside this fire, things and this fire is our own inner divinity. And the third place where this fire is found, as the Vedas put it, its original home, and that is in the truth above. So these are the three places: truth above, where it nodal points. It's everywhere, but. This evolutionary energy, one is truth above in the supramental realm, as Shubhendra puts it, and in matter below, and in the center of the heart. So, as we invoke this truth from above, this what is meant by offering to the divine, connecting to the divine. Then slowly, this energy begins to come and act upon us. At first, it's like a trickle; we won't get to know anything. It's like a baby in the chick in the egg. Or a baby in the womb, but inside it is growing. Nobody will know on the surface, but inside it is growing. And then, after a while, this inside begins to come out, time to time, time to time. Then it begins to become a more enduring state, and then eventually the transformation of a nature. Right? Shobindo speaks of even the physical. So this is the process of yoga and the evolution. It starts from where we are on the surface. Caught up with all the currents of life, which throw us from here to there and there to here, like a cork upon the sea, stepping inside and discovering an inner world out there of thoughts and hopes and feelings and desires and what not, and we start setting our house in order by a central thought, which we pick up. Then the effort to break from the magic circle of nature in which we are caught, and we begin to breathe another kind of air, and this comes by concentration. And interiorization, concentration on picking up any any particular uh, movement of nature, and by concentrating it, yeah. then finally the transformation, the energy which are which can transform of our nature to bring them out of the heart center or from the beyond, invoke it, and then ultimately through all this to hasten our evolution. Human beings will reach this point someday or the other. It's going to happen, but what yoga does? It compresses it. 
normally it may take a million years human beings will eventually figure it out or the evolutionary energy will eventually figure it out but means million of years we'll just be doing in aimless drifting it's okay that's also one way approach people take <laughs> but the other way is to concentrate this evolution of thousands of years into maybe a few lifetimes or maybe one lifetime or maybe 10 years maybe one years maybe one moment so let's stop with that and have question answers it's just a broad framework because details i'm sure will be discussed through a number of talks which other esteemed speakers will be giving but if there are some questions we have 20 minutes yes please start uh, when is it when you talking about the yoga in the physical so when we see or when the framework of physical vital mental and psychic i understood that the hatha yoga is the way for the physical the raja yoga is the way for the mental and the bhakti is the way for the psychic uh is karma the way of divine okay so uh, your question is about shobhinda yoga being integral i am just rephrasing it so for each part is separate kind of yoga uh, picked up from the tradition and to that you add something else no shobhinda that's what he clarifies in the synthesis of yoga uh, in the very first few chapters he clarifies that a synthesis is not a systematic practice of these different Uh, kinds of yoga because they will cause a confusion first the reason is each of them is a highly specialized yoga which means if you have to really practice hatha yoga you know there is um, i know of a yogi i don't know whether he still exists or not but 20 years back there was a hatha yogi in bangalore i'm far away uh, he used to just practice surya namaskar 8 hours 10 hours a day it's not easy to release this energy from matter so to start with what we are practicing today is not hatha yoga it's it's not even it just not even hatha it's some asanas which are healthy good for us but it's not hatha yoga in the way it was practiced second about pranayama shobhinder speaks about it when he himself practiced pranayama 6 to 8 hours a day <laughs> now modern life doesn't allow each of them is specialized raj yogi concentration there is a very beautiful poem of shobhinder mahatmas where he speaks about you know raj yogis when those who really practice uh, i know of at least one sect where they prescribe minimum 2 and 1/2 hours of uh, intense concentration in the morning now you know they, this is the minimum uh, if you want to really practice raj yoga in the true sense not the way it is popularized it will need hours and hours because nature does not uh, release us from this magic circle if it was easy it would be very simple that's why you know the idea of guru's grace and help and all this comes in so what you have to do is shobhinder says that get the essence behind all these so what is the essence behind hatha yoga raj yoga and different yogas is the aspiration to break free from the circle of ignorance so that's why he puts aspiration as first key to the yoga so whether it's the body now how does aspiration awaken in the body whether we are walking whether we are resting Uh, we will see that the body is impacted by various kinds of forces let's say by heat and cold and various things now to train the body in such a way through endurance equanimity and awakening an aspiration that this physical energy should want the divine which means when we are walking when we are doing normal exercises even the gym there should be an aspiration within the body to become a fit instrument and a channel for the divine then next the, this aspiration can be upgraded 
to uh, express and manifest the divine flawlessly and this aspiration can go on to write the physical transmuting itself into a divine uh, you know energy or a divine embodiment so this is how this um, aspiration is the key here now aspiration will start in some part or the other it may be in the mind in the heart but in in this yoga the critical in shobindra yoga the first thing is to find the psychic the source of aspiration the psychic and then let it spread into the heart into uh, mind in the vital and in the body now coming to this other question let's say bhakti there is bhakti involved here also so what is the difference between let's say traditional bhakti and the bhakti here is there a difference at all well the difference again is in the key aspiration the bhakti in traditional yoga the bhakta is happy living in the ecstasy of the you know divine beloved and it's a tremendous ecstasy there is no doubt about it who would after that want to come into the world and you know clean the drains basically it means that but here this bhakti has two more additions to it it sacrifices this inner exclusive ex, uh, you know ecstasy so that this ecstasy can be rediscovered in the entire world so it must not be an exclusive bhakti within the heart where one discovers and adores the divine beloved but a but a bhakti which sees the divine in everything and everyone so everything that we handle in life from the pen to people to uh, you know um, animals to to plants we should be able to see the divine beloved and respond to it as if with an article of faith that god is there in everything not just within my heart that's the one part of it second all the different aspects of the godheads it must unite so it's not an exclusive bhakti for this god or that god they are all aspects durga kali uh, shiva vishnu etc etc all these are united so that the adorer discovers that unity of creation one knows that each of them is an aspect of the divine uh, the one infinite and the third aspect of this bhakti is it does not flinch away from service in fact fulfills itself through service so you know uh, bhakti must translate into real actions uh, it's not enough that inside i have love for mother but when it comes to my dealing with my colleagues i shout at the person and say you know deal with a the strong ego movement and say well i love mother it doesn't matter no i have it must translate into real life and real actions that's that's how it will become service seva uh, so this is a difference similarly with knowledge in the traditional yoga of knowledge all that we need to know is who am i that's the path if you know you go to raman maharishi would simply say all questions reduce to one question who is the questioner <laughs> if you want to put it that way who am i who am i now here it's not enough to know who am i what is this creation so this self knowledge should become an integral self knowledge in every becoming one has to see the one how it is unfolding so you'll discover through science through art through mathematics ultimately all these are various forms of yoga trying to touch something or the other of the one who is infinite so these are some fundamental differences where the essence of the yoga is taken up all the various systems of yoga but it's utilized for a very different purpose and then this essence is directed in uh, different ways so first is aspiration that's the important key in this yoga uh, second is rejection now we already spoke about it rejection is not something harsh oh my god i have to reject this well uh, you know we will make an observation that let's say an excitement 
cuts me away from peace. So why would I want it? It's a very natural, logical thing. And then next it will come that certain companies, if I go for you know this particular company, it tends to you know just cloud my consciousness. Then why should I do it? It's it should flow very naturally and organically as we grow into yoga, not a harsh cutting off. Many people get frightened. Oh my God, I have to cut out these things. Now, as we grow in yoga, first movement is positive. Take for example, lust. One of the most difficult things to get rid of. Now, people discover, when they discover love, they discover, oh my God, this takes me away from this beautiful love that I was experiencing inside. So, they begin to reject. So, rejection grows as aspiration grows and it should be a very natural, organic process. It's not a harsh process. People who try to do it that way, they often throw the baby with the bathwater. And third is of course surrender. Because you realize that human uh, consciousness, human effort, as we today are, has limits. Very logical. After all, we are limited beings. That's why we are turning towards becoming illimitable. <laughs> so, it's what we are seeking is not just a mechanical energy somewhere out there. But a living, conscious being. Being by the very fact that it's conscious of itself. Very often people are scared. Oh, being, it's becoming a religion, God out there. Well, if we say there is an all-conscious, all-consciousness, then what does it mean? <laughs> you become a being by that. I am a being not because I have a body. It's because I am conscious of my existence. In whatever limited way. If I am conscious in a limited way, I am a limited being. If I think I am bodily existence, then I am a bodily being. If I think I am a vital existence, I am a vital being. If I think of a mental uh, existence, then I am a mental being. If I become aware of my spiritual existence, then I am a spiritual being. And if I become aware of the divine existence, then I am a divine being. So basically, being is not just about a God sitting out there with a carrot and rod in another hand. That has nothing to do with God. That's a purely anthropomorphic conception of God. But a being who is all aware, obviously, we connect to that. So that being is not going to sit silently. It's being. So it flows into the becoming. Wherever it sees there is a call and an aspiration, it reaches out. But we have to start that process because it doesn't, somehow, I don't know, for some reason or the other, God seems to he is a very free loving guy. So he doesn't like to you know keep on pushing us, forcing us. He pushes but very gently from inside where we don't even recognize. He nudges us here, there. He is the perfect art of perfect parenting. Ultimately we end up doing his will. But he makes us feel it's I who am doing it. So this is, the, this is how uh, uh, he leans out. But if we call him to help, he will respond. So surrender is a recognition of the fact that I am my limits but thou art illimitable and therefore lean into my life, enter my life, change me into what you would want me to be. So these are the threefold processes used in this yoga. Um, it has nothing to do with the outer forms of yoga as they have taken shape today in specialized ways the way we receive it. Uh, they are all specialized and specialization has its advantages but it has its disadvantages. You know, so if we take those forms just as they are and try to combine together, it will cause a confusion. So we take the essence and then we go on to this new discovery. That's how the difference is.
That means this yoga goes on all the time, not just through special processes. In fact, in a certain sense, there are no special processes which are exclusive to this yoga. You can pick and use anything and uh, it's up to each one. I may do asanas with a conscious aspiration in my body. But I may do asanas without any aspiration. In which case, I am not, in one I am engaging in yoga, in another I am not. I may walk up and down the stairs or down the corridor with a conscious aspiration in my body. Or I may every day do a lot of exercise in the sports ground without really this aspiration, chit-chatting, then it's not yoga. So it's the aspiration which is the key to this yoga. Yes. So when in essence, can I say that way to vital is through karma to action? Way to? Way to the vital development. I'll slightly, yeah, I got you. Huh, very, very nice. I, I, I'm glad about uh, this question. I'll slightly reframe it. I'll just put it in a reverse way that the role of karma, let's put it like that. So make it more vyapak. Um, because vital is everywhere and well, uh, that takes us into a different subject altogether. But yes, karma is one of the, or the karma yoga or the seva is one of the most powerful entries into this yoga. And uh, I can add that it's indispensable at some point in this yoga because unless we engage with the energies which are involved in the most outer uh, expressions, then we cannot really engage fully in the yoga. So karma in this yoga is indispensable so much so that uh, when somebody wrote to Shurabindu the famous letter that I want to come to Pondicherry so that the mother can give me a mantra. And Shurabindu reply with a touch of humor and wit and uh, truth, of course profound truth was, that uh, mother does not give mantras, she gives work. <laughs> so, you know, so work is indispensable. And this work, of course, I'm sure there is a whole section on karma yoga, but very uh, roughly, in, in nutshell, there are three levels which, which we can engage in karma yoga uh, as far as this yoga is concerned. Work for the divine, work of the divine, work by the divine. So work for the divine is whatever we may be doing, cooking, sweeping, wherever we are, any which place, walking, sleeping, relaxing, listening to music, can be turned into a work for the divine by an invocation and offering. Next level is work of the divine. Certain works have been initiated by the divine directly or they may be directly given to a person. You know, like a mission and it, you take it as a work given by the divine to you. And you do that work with all the faithfulness, sincerity, nishkam, bhav, not for furtherance of ambition and ego, but as a service. And then there is work by the divine. A time comes when it doesn't matter. The divine is so much into you that whatever work you undertake or touch, the divine flows into it. So these are the stages of the karma yoga. The details, I'm sure there will be a whole uh, talk on that. Yes. Yeah. Yes, so satsang. Uh, yes, a good question about satsang. Satsang is traditionally thought about, uh, you know, people getting together and reading, let's say, a book or listening to some talk or something. Uh, and this has its advantages, see, because then we don't interact with the rest of the people. But the problem comes when we begin to start connecting at other levels. This is why many of the centers, this problem comes. Because if it remains to, okay, we sit together, we will read today, do this study, it's alright. 
but after getting out they you know like what happens in uh, most of the places after meditation even collective meditation in ashram people come out and say acha kya time hua hai mera serial ka time ho gaya acha wo mere bete ka phone aaya tha missed call then you know you it all evaporates so we should be very clear that uh, i am meeting here we are meeting together to get our energies turned now it's true that even there there is a bit of a problem there are some who are more developed some less developed so there is a leveling effect <laughs> so if you are more developed uh, you do come down a little it's not like you feel much better in collective meditation always and if you are less developed you feel very good but then this leveling effect is okay because it's a yagna so we are all offering our energies to the lord so we should not mind it it's one kind of giving so uh, satsang with humanity should be limited to this beyond it it can be very risky because human beings uh, we bring in lot of mixtures of the ego uh, you know from what used to happen in mandirs yeah, people observing while the ghanti is going on uska saadi kahan se liya hai you know this 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 lady is showing off look at my bahu she is trying to act very pujari lekin ghar mein kya karti you know all this uh, nonsensical thing human atmosphere can be very uh, disturbing if one is not rooted inside in equanimity because you become exposed to that so satsang should be that second way of satsang is books wonderful books that's what i was saying that every day spend some time reading reading savitri satsang it doesn't matter you are in the company of the divine ultimately is the company of truth then satsang is about going to places which are charged with this energy so ultimately centers are meant for that if there is one dedicated person who can invoke the presence and you know you go and sit there for some time it makes a difference or if nothing else sitting before a photograph so it's a satsang mother's music it's satsang because you are in the company sang normally we are in dussang company of things which are harmful falsehood this is company of truth and if nothing else is there then remembering the mother inside ma 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 it's the supreme satsang so satsang has to be seen from that larger context and not just about you know people not it's certainly not a get together which it tends to become so a word of caution as you rightly say is important i have seen this happen very often Devsang is a different thing. Devsang is uh, Shubhendu's letter to Barinda, where he speaks about Devsangha, the community which is uh, becomes by its mutuality uh, becomes much stronger than the individual. Now the Devsangha Shubhendu wrote to Barinda in 1920 um, or to Motilal Roy, but it's it's before mother has been established uh, in the outer consciousness of man. now mother has taken this task of creating the devasangha but then that's entering into very very um, complex territory like the ashram it's the first effort towards devasangha now what are the rules within the ashram have love goodwill friendship towards everybody be smiling cheerful but don't engage in a very intense vital interchange now if one doesn't do it one is disturbing the life of the devasangha that's why in the ashram if you see there was lot of freedom but if somebody indulged in lot of vital interchange of various kind they were asked to go away but they were disturbing the collective atmosphere so same thing applies then next step was society where you know different centers where you know the larger devasangha 
where people meet together but always one of one has to be on the watch for two things one is the ego of being the leader being you know human beings carry their baggage ambition even into spiritual things so they become heads of department they have a position now this spoils everything obviously but collective work is very difficult very challenging so if somebody wants to participate in the deva sangha mother later on in 58 she says you have to first grow into a gnostic being <laughs> forget everything else because if we are not purified inside we'll what will we do we'll turn you know even here we see you know departments fighting with each other within the department fighting how can you have a dev sangha on this basis so the first and most important task is to grow within the second important task is to have a general goodwill and as far as possible a working harmony in our relationship with the des within us if we cannot see the divine in everyone which is the best way and third is stop bothering about what others are doing because they have their own challenges we can bring in our bit of beauty and light and radiance into life hoping that this will be powerful enough to eventually clear all the mark this is the path in in yoga we use this method rather than external ways that you are a bad guy and i throw you no we if there is hatred in the environment bring love if there is disharmony bring harmony if there is agitation bring peace this even in raj yoga this is the process but at an individual level so when you bring it it will clear the environment more and more and then of course the third dev sangha is aura will wear it spread into the world but the big challenge of all these dev sanghas is mr ego and uh, okay mr desire let's not use miss desire okay racism gender equality etc etc <laughs> so so mr ego is the big problem he doesn't allow deva sangha to make because you want to become my sangha deva sangha means centered around mother it's not you or me but her so it's very very difficult because i remember centers where at least um, i was involved and we had decided we'll read at least from mother's writing and try to do things as mother has said no <laughs> finished <laughs> i know it now what do you do <laughs> i know it you don't even want to read what she has said you see this apathy everywhere i see this in oroville i see this in ashram people don't want to read because when you read you will be disturbed you will not be happy the way you are leading your life you will discover the facade you will see the hypocrisy you will see you will have to recognize the falsehood within you this convenient to throw it on to others i'm being very frank and forthright people don't read discovering inner self is one part at least there are fundamentals which mother and shobindo has said so uh, that's why baba ji maharaj gave a very beautiful thing see how he proceeded path chakra start reading there should be collective reading even within the ashram some very small groups to it fraction path chakra and then he spoke of naam japa these were the fundamental things then schools and integral you know education so i suppose for every collectivity there should be at least some reading together of mother and shurbindo so that we have a central meeting point every department should take out maybe half an hour a, a week to read something related to the working in that department it doesn't happen so what can i say it should happen
it has been tried time to time and it's a human resistance that's a big challenge of yoga because the inconscient lies at its back and ego will not allow because the moment you do it you discover where i stand the heads won't allow it let me put it more specifically because then you discover that you are basically there's only one head so you know, that's the problem so we all pray and aspire for it till then let's grow into that ourselves with all sincerity and uh, as we grow more and more people grow automatically uh, events will change outside that's the way mother has said that the more uh, if if an collectivity is in a mess it means the individuals are in a mess it's not this person or that person and the ways that let each one do sincerely what they can do then automatically a force field will be generated but who will be those individuals that only she knows but as my own contribution i can do it that's all we can do given to us any other one or two last questions yes please i would like to take you back to the forest fire example yes yes so basically the forest fire is for keeping the wild animals away whereas the inner fire that we are talking about is for keeping the animalistic quality yes 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 so if in order to keep the fire burning we keep throwing in negative things such as anger ego jealousy then doesn't it cause in fact all the things you know this fire there is the beauty of this fire it's an alchemist energy so negative things uh, and positive things which we use in our human language uh, both have to be transmuted certain negative things carry within them them very interestingly the seed for something beautiful to take an example obstinate natures they carry within themselves the capacity for perseverance or take another example of even anger there is something called as um, you know this this term should be used very carefully but divine wrath kali destroys you know destructive power of the divine which can destroy things see anger is a destructive force isn't it it destroys relationship destroys love destroys peace but if you transmute this energy it can destroy falsehood so um, when you throw it that the beauty of fire it will finish the dross but bring out that little ingot of gold secondly even the good things so not only negative things what we even the good things okay i am very loving person generous person so i don't need to put it no we need to put it generosity can be misdirected and misapplied creating much confusion in the world all parents are very generous toward their child even when the child is going straight so they have created chaos you know by misguided generosity or we are always generous toward those whom we are fond of whom we like so you see this generosity must be purified of this egoism similarly charity misguided charity brings injustice in the world see charity and justice this is a big problem if you are very charitable person okay i you know this famous story of our ex prime minister late prime minister atal bihari vajpayee very few people know that somebody who now is you know big man and um, the chief of a party and you know the the party had come to him uh, when he was the prime minister that you know this man is in mess trouble help him out he said after all india so i'll help him out now you know he's being the party has been hit back 
See, there are many things like that. You have to understand. That's why you see Krishna, how he, he is charitable. He gives the chance. But there comes a point where he is not charitable towards Karna. Because he knows if Karna survives, he will once again stand in the way of, he will shield Duryodhana. So charity misguided brings um, justice in jeopardy. There has to be balance. Take another example of human love. How many crimes have been committed in the form of human love? Even religion tendencies, ideologies. So all of them have to be purified and turned into their divine equivalent. So everything, that's why the Gita uses the word Sarvakarmani. Even our relaxation, which are neutral things. What is there to offer about just simply, let's say, enjoying a movie? I'm not doing anything bad. These are things which are neither negative or positive. Very, very often they are a little positive because, you know, you're coming back a little more relaxed, maybe a little happier frame of mind. But even that, that come and watch a film with me. Mother, come. So probably we'll see the movie, not probably for sure, with a different set of eyes. So we will uh, learn something beautiful where we would have just seen a storyline and you know enjoyed it. That's how mother said that when movies were shown here, that's how one should watch. Or we are going on a holiday on a picnicking. Now there are things in life which are not just positive or negative. But they are uh, very neutral but they are generally fine things. But even they should be offered because then their quality begins to change. Everything has to be transmuted and that's what this divine energy does. Whether the base of spine or here as in this yoga the fire lit within our heart or from above it's it alchemist energy Shubhinda used the word the spirit's alchemist energy is hers so we should invoke this alchemist energy yes hostile forces now yes there are forces which oppose the yoga but very particularly mother uh, Towards the later part reminds us that Shurabindo uh, did not give much importance to these things. Though there are letters and if you see them they are obviously accumulated to, together. But he repeatedly spoke about basing life on oneness. Because why they are there? They have a function. They are not just pulse port. They are originally instruments of sincerity. And somebody who is awake within, you know this movie was shown uh, Bhakta Prahlad. So, mother was very happy. She said, it is very true. If somebody is living in the consciousness of one, then no hostile force can approach near or attack him. Because, so, instead of looking at hostile force, because sometimes what happens is, we end up seeing, uh, you know, whatever, whomever we don't like, we end up labeling is a hostile force and, you know, uh, that's also not good because we have to see the divine everywhere. So, much better way is to uh, rather take it that even if somebody seems to me very, very dark and perverse, very ugly, let's use the word hostile, still there is within him some touch of divine love. It will be a safety. Uh, if we have the vision and we have the mission, then it's okay. You know, Hanuman gives a punch. <laughs> but uh, Rama didn't act like that. Rama always saw the presence of the divine inside. That's why you see, uh, both Rama and Sita gave ultimate chances to Ravana and he doesn't shoot arrow in Ravana, Ravana's heart because he sees Janki there. You know, he's in love with the world mother. He says, I can't kill him here. So that is the oneness, even Sri Krishna. So, uh, better to live in a state of oneness, hostile forces will take care of themselves. And ultimately, if they come, 
for a moment uh, and we do get hit then best is to see myself where am i open to their action some door within me has been left open unwittingly so if a rat is every day in my house or a snake is creeping in it's not enough to keep killing snakes but to find out where is it coming from and to plug that point it may be jealousy it may be some kind of a subconscious fear it may be anger it may be many kinds of insincerities which open the door so whenever we are hit by any such force they are there to test us and we need to grow more vigilant more sincere and more surrendered to the divine so they have a function and let them do their job you know they are doing their work yes that's why calling the mother's name is so important that's why yoga has to be practiced throughout life i quite agree sometimes very difficult because they can be overrushing overpowering but that's how we grow initially it's very difficult we are overpowered then after some time we become a little more vigilant little more vigilant i'll close with this little story about you know this difficulty and how we grow a vigilance so this is a story of this man who wanted to become a samurai sword fighting he wants to learn so he goes and enrolls himself with a guru and the guru tells him okay fine you are enrolled so he is waiting that tomorrow my uniform will be made day after i'll get a sword and third day i'll get into the rings so he is waiting nothing happens he's just there so after two weeks he says that you know guru ji i am come here to oh yeah 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 okay you make chapatis he said what is am i got to do with chapatis so one year then he starts seeing people learning fencing and he says what is my destiny i am making chapatis they are learning the real thing then after 3 years when he has reconciled he says maybe my i am not fit i am here only to make chapatis <laughs> one day suddenly he gets a wash from behind and he is very angry he looks back and says guruji with a wooden sword so he says oh sorry guruji sorry guruji then after some days again another wash from there Oh, angry then guruji 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 so again he then these uh, blows start coming unexpectedly from all sides so much so that he becomes so vigilant that at night also he is uh, so alert that if somebody steps near he gets up because you know now and he has mastered his anger because he is discovering it's only guruji coming and beating me so he has mastered his anger but has become vigilant enough to avoid the you know so so after few years uh, actually the story is a little aside he comes and says how many years will i take to learn so he says depends on you he says if i am very sincere very very keen he said 10 years he said if i double it he said 20 years he said if i triple my sincerity he says 30 years that means now sincerity is being confused by impatience so it's not it's a very long process we have to be ready we have signed up for a long journey nevertheless getting back to the story finally when guruji sees that even in sleep he is able to get up and see the master and just do pranam and the master's hand falls because now it's a different relation so then he tells him to come tomorrow you will be given a real sword to learn fencing so that's how it is thank you so much and bye bye